you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Hold your spot there, and uh, we're continuing in the series called Burning Questions. And uh, this morning, tackling a very, very difficult question, one I'm really glad was asked, but uh, one that's not always easy to answer. And so, Mark chapter 10, hold your spot, and uh, I'm going to pray, ask God just to bless this time this morning. God, we thank you for, thank you for this series, Lord. Uh, Burning Questions has been some uh, really difficult questions that have been asked, honest questions, I think, Lord, and, and questions that really cause us to think, which is a good thing. But God, there are times where we recognize that in your word, you don't answer every question completely, but you always give us enough that reveals yourself and, and helps us to see that we can trust you. And so we pray today, God, I, I know that this question, I would imagine, probably uh, touches some lives pretty closely. And uh, has been a question that's been grappled with, I'm sure, by most here in this, uh, in this group this morning. And so I pray that you give me the words to say, uh, that you, Holy Spirit, would just speak deeply into our lives. And for those who don't know you, God, that today would be the day when they choose, as an act of their own will, Lord, to surrender their lives to Jesus and to trust Him alone. And so thank you for this time. Speak and use it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember I was a student at... Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, 1999. I was due to graduate in uh, about a year and a half. And uh, it, it was on an April day that the Columbine shootings took place out in Colorado. And for the first time that I can remember, uh, it was an event that took place that just captivated me simply by the weight of the sheer tragedy of what had happened. Now, obviously, you know, by that stage in my life, I had been exposed to hardships and difficulties and tragedies and things of that like in life. But for some reason, that particular shooting, 1999, April of 1999, which took the lives of 13 people, injured another 20, carried out by two individuals that many would say were the embodiment of evil, it, it, just, it just captivated me. I remember the days before smartphones, just sitting in the cafeteria, specifically reading USA Today, and just being just, just grasped by the, by the weight of what had taken place there. You know, we, we live in a world where evil seems to pervade every aspect of our culture, don't we? Whether it's a Columbine, whether it's a Charleston AME shooting that took place 2015, believe it or not, four years ago now, just two, mile, or two hours up the road from us, uh, when Dylan Roof went into a Wednesday night prayer gathering, killing nine people. Uh, or, or whether it's other events that happen uh, that we see on the news or on the news feed or on the television sets that we, that we watch. Uh, I mean, we're reminded that evil is everywhere, it seems. And for some here today, I understand that evil is not something that is just distant, something that you see on a TV screen or on a computer monitor or on a phone news feed. But for some of you, uh, evil is something that has really intersected your life. Evil is something that is, has made its way into to your day, in, into your life, into your walk through this world. And for some of you, that evil has shown itself to you specifically, evil that was maybe carried out against you. Maybe it has been secondary to where someone you know or you love has had to deal with something that was done to them or done against them or some injustice that was carried out. And you have been reminded in a way that's not uh, distant, in a way that's not looking at it from from another part of the world, right, where you see it play out on a television screen. But for you, maybe, evil has played itself out in a very personal way. 
And maybe for you, it has been a long time since you were able to come to a place to where you can sit in a building like this, in a service like this, and to sing songs about God because that evil has raised serious questions. Questions that you haven't really been able to reconcile. Questions that even the answers still have a few rough edges. But this morning, I want us to look at that topic simply because it was asked in a burning question anonymously as part of our burning questions about Christianity series. And so let's go ahead and take a look at the question. It was, it was asked, I can't remember when, I obviously don't know who it was asked by, but it was asked here on location because it was written out in our lobby and dropped in our uh, little box there uh, asking for burning questions. The question is simple, if God is good, why is there so much evil? If God is good, why is there so much evil? And I'd be willing to say it was asked by one person, but just curiously, and I did the same in the first service, how many of you have thought this as well to yourself in some form or fashion? If God is good or if God is real, why is there so much evil in our world? It's not an uncommon question. It's a question we'll see later that comes also out of the pages of Scripture. But in a lot of ways, I think it's a moral question. It questions the morality of God, right? It questions the very goodness of God. And this morning, we're going to touch on this subject, and it's going to go kind of deep to some degree, but we're going to try to make it in a way that's easy to embrace and easy to understand. This is a very deep question. This is a, a very, very difficult question, and again, partly difficult because God doesn't give us all the answers. He just gives us enough answer to trust Him. As one person told me after the service uh, in, in, the, in the 9 o'clock uh, service. They came up and, and told me afterwards, and I was really glad they did. They said, you know, God doesn't always uh, uh, look to answer us, but he always reveals himself, right? It, it isn't always about answers, but it is always about revelation. And, and uh, God has given us certainly enough, I think, to grapple with this question from what he shared with us in scripture. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us a few principles that we're going to look at this morning and, uh, uh, and, and hopefully make sense. And especially for those of you that have dealt with the, the uh, uh, the ramifications of evil, injustice, whatever it may be in your life, man, hopefully this will help you to see God in a way maybe like you never have before. Principle number one, and I hope you'll jot these down, and we're going to be, begin walking through these, looking at Scripture along the way. Uh, first principle is this, that God's creation did not include evil, right? When God created it, it didn't include evil, but it did allow for the possibility of evil. When God created his creation did not include evil. God is not the creator of evil, of sin, right, of injustice, but rather his creation did allow for the possibility of evil to exist. So what does this say about God? Well, let's just backtrack for a moment and let's remind ourselves of who God is as a part of his nature. Uh, let's look in Mark chapter 10 where I had you to turn. This is a passage that I, I dealt with a couple of weeks or so ago. Mark chapter 10, a fellow comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. And look at what Jesus says in response. It says, as he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, he calls Jesus. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, I think there are two, two layers kind of in play here. On one layer, Jesus is equating himself with God, right? Because he didn't stop this guy. He didn't correct this guy. He didn't say, don't call me good. He just asked him, why are you calling me good, right? In other words, do you understand what you're saying, do you understand the implications of what you're saying? Jesus received 
this title of good teacher, and he was equating himself with God. This is a great reference to Jesus understanding that, Jesus, that, that he himself it was God, right? That he is God. But on another layer, what he's laying out for us is this picture of God as a God who is good. No one is good except God alone. Now, the psalmist would say much the same in the Old Testament. Look at what it says uh, in Psalm chapter 145. It says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. He is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. So here's what we have to establish, and we've already sung a couple of songs about this. Now we've seen a couple of passages. Here's what we have to establish at the very beginning. As we talk about evil, we have to understand first that God is good. God is a very good God. And when he created, he did not create evil. His creation didn't include evil, so we can't blame it on him or get mad at him or shake our fist at him because he made it. He didn't make it. But his creation did allow for the possibility of evil to exist. So let me ask you a question. If God is really good, which is what Scripture says about him, if God is loving for God, so love the world. If a loving and a good God set out to create a world, what type of world do you think he would create? A loving and good God would be expected to create a loving and good world, right? I don't think that's a stretch. And that is exactly what he did. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1. You can, you can follow me on the overhead here. Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, looks at the creative work of God. And it says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. If God had an easy chair at the end of the sixth day of creating, he would have kicked back in that easy chair, and he would have looked out over six days' worth of creative activity, and he would have looked at the giraffes and the mountains, and he would have looked at the seas, and he would have looked at this world, and he would have looked at mankind. And what he said was, it was very good. Evil was not a part of God's creation. What he created, God himself uh, defined as being very good. However, two chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, part of God's creation, mankind, who had been created with the freedom to choose, chose to reject and rebel against God. You see, when God created us, he could have created us as robots, but rather, listen, Siri's with me on this, listen, <laughs> somewhere, Siri is in this building, I heard her. But when God created us, He created us with the freedom to choose. This loving God desired love in return. And the only way that His creation can love Him in return is if we have freedom to choose. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve chose to go a different way. Look at what it says here, Genesis chapter 3. We pick up kind of mid-chapter. Let's bring up Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, having been commanded not to eat of a certain tree, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, 
She took from its fruit and she ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. The picture there is that if you move on in that passage, what you'll see there is that Adam and Eve, God's creation that had been cre- who had been created, very good, placed in a garden that was very good in the midst of a creation that God himself said was very good, ultimately rebelled against God as an act of their own will, and they began to hide from the very one who had created them. God would give commentary on this a little bit further in chapter 3. Look at what he says. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Us, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Picture the Trinity. The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. When God created, he did not include evil as part of his creation. Evil is not his fault. But he did create a system (laughs) where the possibility of evil existed. And that's exactly what happened when his creation, Adam and Eve, and let's just say us as well, made the decision to rebel against and to reject and to push God to the margin and to live life on our own terms. And evil invaded God's creation. Principle number two, follow me on this. Evil is actually, however, no thing at all. That's where it gets a little bit deep. <laughs> I didn't say evil is nothing, right? When we look at evil, some of you English majors will appreciate this, right? When we speak of the word evil, we speak of it as a noun, right? It's not a person, it's not a place, and so it falls into the category, at least grammatically, as a thing, right? Understand that. We speak of evil as a noun. Follow me here. However, Realistically, evil is not a thing at all. Evil is the absence of good. God did not create evil. Evil is not a thing to be created. Rather, evil, follow me, is the absence of good. I went shopping last night, went to the store, got me a new shirt. Proud of my new shirt. However, you'll notice there is one thing that stands out about this shirt has the finest collar you've ever seen, right? <laughs> no, I got this shirt last night, and I got home, and I thought, this shirt is very good. Well, you'll also notice, however, that this shirt has a hole in it, right? If you're sitting too far back, a couple of folks this morning said, I thought it was a design. No, it's, it's a hole, all right? I mean, this... this Shows off my one pack. I mean, I hate to admit it, right? But this is, this is a hole. Now, now, here's the thing. This hole is not a thing. Follow me here for just a moment. This hole is not a, I can't take this hole and give it to you. If you were to say, give me the shirt, I'd give you the shirt. If you were to say, give me the hole, I can't give you the hole. It's not a thing to give. The hole is merely an absence of of shirt. Frank Turek, I love the way he explains it. He speaks of rust, and he says rust is only there because of the presence of a car. If you were to take the rust out of the car, you'd have a better car. If you were to take the rust out or the car out of the rust, he's like, that's an impossibility. You can't even do that. If I were to take the hole out of the shirt, I'd have a much better shirt. But if I were to take the shirt out of the hole, I mean, I can't do that. The hole's not a thing. How many of you are with me? Say I'm with you. Okay, how many of you just lied? Say, I'm a liar, all right? 
I mean, evil is not a thing. So here's how this plays out. Some of you, may, you have been touched deeply by evil in this world. Somebody may have carried out something against you or your, one of your kids or one of your family members may have committed an absolute atrocity. And ever since that time, you have had a really hard time reconciling faith and a loving, good God with what has happened that was so evil. And it has been so difficult for you. It has been an uphill climb for you. And it's a miracle that you're even here today. And yet you, what you haven't understood maybe or connected the dots on is that evil is not something God created. Evil is not even a thing at all. It is the absence of good. And where God has created very good and where God himself is a God who is loving and kind and benevolent, and good to the core. He is our good, good father, as the song says. Evil is the absolute epitome of that, or or, or the contrast to that, rather. Evil is everything that God is not. And when we look at evil as it relates to creation, evil is not something that God has created. But evil is something that God's creative work has allowed. So principle number three, we're building. God created, created everything good. He created this world in such a way to where we are people that are his creation and his image with the freedom to choose. Evil has invaded that creation, not by God's design, but by God's allowance. Principle number three. It's the presence of evil, however, that actually proves the existence of God rather than disproves Him. It's the presence of evil in this world that actually proves God rather than disproves Him. Some of you may work with people or you have family members or you may have even been this person or maybe you are this person now and you're only here because somebody promised you lunch after, (laughs) right? And maybe this is a real issue for you and your thought is, not so much if God is good, why is there so much evil? Your thought has been, or maybe the thought of someone you know and love has been, if God exists, why is there so much evil? See, evil doesn't disprove God in the least any more than when your Ford breaks down because you did 110 miles an hour in third gear, <laughs> right? That doesn't disprove the fact that somebody in a plant somewhere in Michigan built that car, right? It doesn't disprove it at all. Evil doesn't disprove God. In fact, I'll go so far as many others before me and say that it's evil that actually proves the existence of God. The only reason this hole exists is because there's a shirt. (laughs) The only reason rust exists in an automobile is because of the automobile. C.S. Lewis said, if you take a crooked stick, I wish I'd have thought of this before, our services today, I could have brought a couple. If you take a crooked stick, just get in your mind maybe an old limb that you've whittled down and it's gnarled and bent and just crooked. It's not straight at all and you've whittled it down to a walking stick. If you take that crooked stick and lay it down, the only way you know it is, cro- it is crooked is when you lay a straight stick next to it. It is that perfect pattern, that straight pattern, that straight stick that reveals the crookedness of the other, right? That's what C.S. Lewis says. It, it is the, 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 the existence of this shirt, right, that creates the allowance and proves the existence of this whole. When you think about evil, evil doesn't disprove God in the least. 
What evil does is proves to us that there is a perfect standard of goodness that exists. And that perfect standard of goodness only exists because of the existence of a perfect God. The only way we have moral failure in life is because there is moral law. And the only way there is moral law in existence is because there is a moral law giver. The only way we have evil that exists is because there is a standard of good, ultimate, perfect good that exists. And the only way ultimate, perfect good exists is because of an ultimately perfect God who established it as the standard. That's the only way. And when we see evil in this world, it doesn't say, oh, see, there you go, there is no God. What it does say is the only way I know this is evil is because good ultimately exists. Now, here's the thing. When someone treats you unjustly or someone wrongs or mistreats somebody you love, inside of you, you begin to well up, don't you? You get frustrated, you get upset, you begin to say, you know what, they should have never fired him for that. They, 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 they should have never let this person go from that, from that business because of that. Or maybe someone is, is wrongly treated and, and you think in yourself, you know what, they should have never said that to that, to that girl. They, that should have never been said to her. That just hurt her feelings so badly. And you begin to well up in you and, and you know that something is wrong. You know why you know that? Because God, your creator, the moral law giver has planted in you Romans chapter 1, we looked at this two weeks ago, he's planted in you an understanding of what is good and what is right. He put it there as your creator. We can't take that moral understanding of what is good that is in us already. We can't push it away. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong and you wrestled with it? You just knew it was wrong even before you were a follower of Jesus and you knew it's like, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do it. You just kind of walked away and then you came back. And, oh, it's going to be so much fun. I just can't do this. And, and you came back, right? That, that internal struggle was because there is a sense of what is good that has been created within you and you can't deny it and you know it's not from you. And there's an understanding in every person of what is right and what is good and what is proper. And it's there because of our creator who put it there. Evil is the absence of good. It proves God. It proves that good exists. It doesn't disprove him at all. Tim Keller, listen to what Tim Keller says. It makes it no easier to handle evil or suffering by disbelieving God. By the way, let me, let me just take a little sidetrack here for a moment. It's probably not the audience necessarily to go far down this road, but let's just say there were those who hold to the theory of evolution that are here today. And then there may be. I mean, I don't discount that. I'm sure there probably are some. And I'm not trying to be um, smart in what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be snarky in what I'm saying. I'm just saying this for, as food for thought. <clears throat> but when you think about evil that's perpetrated in our culture, whether it's on an individual level or a societal level, the evolutionist should applaud that, right? Because evil plays perfectly into an evolutionary mindset where it's only the fittest and the strongest who survive. It should be the evolutionist on the front row hearing of Columbine saying, well done. It's a little awkward, isn't it? 
It should be the evolutionist on the front row hearing of the Charleston AME shootings in 2015 where nine died saying, well done. It should be the evolutionist every single time the weak are taken advantage of, when the weak are trampled on, when evil succeeds and seems to win. It should be the evolutionist there saying, that's the way the system works. But no one would be willing to applaud and to build a plaque honoring Hitler or bin Laden or Jeffrey Dahmer or any other Islamic terrorist or anyone who perpetrates evil in this world. Why? Because we know in her heart, that evil doesn't fit. God didn't create it. It's the absence of good. It's the rejection of God. So we look at the question, so if God is good, why does he allow evil to exist? I think the answer to that is because it's the way he created us. He created a system for the possibility of evil to exist. It's what freedom of choice It's the risk that freedom of choice brings. But maybe for some, the question would be worded a little bit differently. Well, if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just stop it? That question has probably been asked equally as much. If God is all-powerful the way the Bible says he is, why doesn't he just stop it? Some answers have ragged edges. I don't know that God answers that question for us in a verse. If he's all-powerful, why doesn't he stop evil? Here's what I think, and we'll share just a moment for responses of God to evil. But, But here's what I think. You can disagree if you want. I think what God does is, is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden at the very beginning, when they fell prey to Satan's plan B. Had he done away with Adam and Eve or done away with us when we sin, it would have never been known if God's way is truly best. We would all have always wondered, so was the enemy's way the best way or was it really God's? And with each passing year and each passing month and each passing day, as evil continues to grow in our culture, it is not only evidence that good exists, that God exists, but it's also evidence that His way is best. And as we are exposed to evil in this world, whether it's on a societal level through our smartphone screen as we read our news feed, or whether it's in those moments when evil crosses our path and invades our own individual lives, what happens is, is that I believe God is allowing us to see what life looks like when He is not included and when good is absent, and when God is absent, and let me say, it is shocking. Absolutely shocking. Which only highlights the beauty of the cross. That when God looked down in this evil world and we wonder, God, why don't you just do away with evil? Are we willing for him to start with us? (laughs) We're not as good as we think we are. When God looked down on this fallen, evil world, that he didn't create that way. He didn't choose to say, you know what, I'm done. But rather, he stepped into the middle of it in the person of Jesus. And he felt the full brunt of that wrath. And he, living a sinless life, was crucified for nothing he did wrong. 
he understands what evil feels like. And when you, Christian, or you, one who's searching, comes to God with your questions and your hurt about evil, and when you come with the fallout of the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that it brings, there is a God who is there who loves you and who feels for you and who understands everything that's going on in your heart and mind. And the last thing we need to do is stiff-arm him or blame him. What we need to do is rush to him as fast as we can. So what are the four responses as we close of God in the face of evil? I'll be brief in these. The first response, number one, is that he died on the cross to conquer it. He died on the cross to conquer it. That's his response to evil. You know what? I'll just, I'll just conquer it. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, we won't read that passage, but it talks of how Jesus on the cross absolutely not only disarmed the authorities that were in opposition to God, but also nailed our sins, nailed our sins there. God's response to evil is that he died on the cross to conquer. Number two, he works it out for good in our lives. Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those of you on the very edge where your life has been impacted by someone else's wrong or maybe even your own wrong, listen, God is able to somehow in a way that only he can leverage that good and wor- or leverage that evil and work it out ultimately for good. I don't know how he'll do it in your case, but if you love him and if you trust him and if you know him through Jesus, I know he'll do it because he says he will. The third thing God does in response to evil is that he walks with us through it. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does David the psalmist say? I will fear no evil. Why, David? Because you are with me. No matter what touches our life, no matter how tragic it may be, no matter how much evil pervades us, right? God is there with the one who knows him through Jesus, and he's not going anywhere. He's going to walk with us through it. He's not going to stand on the other end and say, just trust me more and hurry it up, will you? I've got other things to do in this world. No, he walks with us through it. He walks through it, holding us in his arms, loving us because he is a good, loving God. And then number four, God's response is that one day he's going to remove it. (laughs) He's going to remove it. You know what I was going to do for this message, and I I tried it in Walmart in the dressing room last night at about 9.30. It looked goofy, so I didn't do it. I was going to buy a second one of these shirts, and at this point in the message, just put it on. A nice new, brand new shirt that covers the evil. Just kind of imagine one day... Revelation 21, 4 says, when he will wipe every tear from their eye and there'll be no longer any death or mourning or crying or pain for the first order of things that passed away. When God brings the new heaven and the new earth and you're gonna have a new body and you'll have a new life and that pain and that suffering and that evil will be no longer in existence and it's gonna last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I'm gonna get a new shirt that I can't put my hand through, right? Because my forever isn't characterized by the goodness that's missing. My forever is going to be characterized by the goodness of a God who loves me and a God who's infinitely good and a God who's never going to abandon me. So what do we do in response? Three things quickly. Number one, surrender to Jesus who conquered that evil. 
If you've never given your life to Christ, man, no better time than today. And if you've been one of those who's been far from God and you've been hurting and you've struggled wondering, how could a God who is good, how could a God who is real allow such evil to take place? I hope you see him a little differently today. And if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, he stands ready and waiting. He's already paid for sin. He's already paid even for your sin. He's already paid everything that was needed for you to know him. And the only thing that waits is you're trusting him, trusting in what Jesus did on the cross and forgiving asking for him to forgive you and take over. And he'll do it right where you sit, and he'll do it. A second response is to trust in the perfect love of our good God. God is a God, again, who has proven his goodness. Psalm chapter 136, we won't read it, but all through those nine ver- first nine verses of that passage of Scripture, it talks of the loving kindness of God over and over and over and over and over again. And then the third thing that we can do whenever we're, we face evil is to ultimately combat it with good. Never become satisfied that we live in a world of evil. Never become desensitized to it, but combat evil with good. Romans 12, 9 and verse 21 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, that means deeply hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Do not be overcome by evil, right? We trust in God. We hope in him. One day he's going to replace it but overcome evil with good. There is a time, there is a place where the follower of Jesus plants his feet, plants her feet, lifts their voice, and stands for all that is good. And cries out against all that is evil, loving the ones who do it, but standing against and speaking out against everything that is against God. We hate what is evil, we cling to what is good, and we replace it with the very goodness of the message of Christ. There's a book in Scripture that probably few of us have read very often in the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet, and he prophesied to Judah just before they would be taken off into captivity for their sin. Habakkuk is one that most of us probably don't read very often. In fact, it's a book of the Bible that asks the original burning question. And, And take a look at what it says here in Habakkuk. Chapter 1, it's interesting what Habakkuk says as he looks at the wickedness around him as his nation is being taken off into captivity. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, and yet you don't save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, and justice comes out perverted. It's the original burning question. You know, this is... This is evidence that God wrote the Bible. <laughs> because if I wrote the Bible and, and if it was up to me to choose what books made it and what books didn't, this one wouldn't make it. It'd stay on the cutting room floor, right? Because this is a tough book. I mean, this is like just standing and asking God some really hard questions. All the books that talk about his loving kindness, oh yeah, those pass. I'll put those in in a heartbeat. But isn't it awesome that God puts a book like this in the Bible that we can relate to when we have those same questions without taking the time for the whole story, whenever the book concludes in chapter 3, look at what Habakkuk says at the very end. Look at how his heart trusts in a good, loving God in the midst of a fallen, evil world that God did not create. He says that the fig tree should not blossom, and even though there be no fruit on the vines, 
Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Habakkuk says, if I lose everything, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and he makes me to walk on my high places. In other words, Habakkuk says, in the midst of an evil, fallen world, it is my loving, good God who gives me stability in the midst of uncertainty. And the only thing I can do to that kind of a God is to trust Him, follow Him, rejoice in Him, and praise Him. And man, let me just say, we live in an evil world. Jesus knew it. He died in it. He rose in it. And He came to redeem it. As we trust him and walk with him, he doesn't take the evil out yet. But a billion, billion years from now, we'll look back, and this little breath called life on this earth will be but a whisper compared to the eternal victory, blessing, and joy that comes through Jesus. So if you're one of those touched by that evil, hey, don't doubt God. Rush to him. He didn't make it this way. It's not his fault. But he did die to save it. And if you're one of those, the victory is going to be really, really good. Let's pray.